0: Welcome to GLAD, your spatial fix for geography, life, and data. This podcast is brought to you by the Science of Cities and Regions program at the Alan Turing Institute. I'm Rachel, your host for today, and I'm here at our studios in the British Library with Danny. Hello. And Levi. Hiya. We do something a little different every time, but there's always a healthy dose of all things geography, life, geography, life, and data. And today we're talking about conferences and how to navigate them. After all, Love them or hate them, conferences are an integral component of the research process. Or are they? So for today's episode, which we've titled How to Conference, we wanted to have a little conversation about conferences and sort of how we navigate them, how we um, deal with the intricacies of talking to lots of people, um, looking at a complicated program and deciding which events to attend, and also just like, to conference or not to conference. And so what we've done is um, come together with some people that we know in the community who we thought would have some interesting perspectives on attending conferences. And we thought we'd also reflect on our own experiences. But the goal here, I think, is especially for those who perhaps haven't attended a lot of conferences or are new to the process, thinking through uh, what might be a daunting experience or event on the horizon and some strategies for how to navigate that. And the premise that we're starting from is that most of us who have attended lots of conferences have what we might best describe as a love-hate relationship with them. And I don't know, Levi, does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I mean could be that i love certain conferences and hate others but i don't know
0: <laughs> Ooh, it could be multi scalar
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no i think it's i think it's pretty you develop a complex relationship with your first conference and that series of conferences i think but then you know some of my favorite memories of being an academic are at conferences so you do develop a complex attachment
2: i don't know how about you Danny? i was gonna say i i actually don't hate them i think um ah. i was trying to think which parts i hate about conferences and i, I don't think i have i mean But maybe i am a particular type of academic i don't mind talking to people and i don't mind that aspect of academia um having said that that doesn't mean that it's all fluid and it always creates it it always works out great um and over time i think there are some things that will pick up in the conversation later on how you know how your relationship with conferences evolve and and how you find them useful or not useful and compulsory or not compulsory changes, but I don't think I hate them. I'm
0: Can you remember what your first conference was? Your yes. first academic conference?
2: Yes, the space econometrics
0: do you have fond memories of this conference? Yeah. Yes. And are, would you be very able to... Very good cake at the coffee break, <laughs> which was a very, very bad that thing to have thing. on the first conference.
2: <laughs> right. But-
0: yeah, don't... So first piece of advice, perhaps, uh, you're not going to conferences for the conference
2: food. Unless you go to industry conferences, which you want if you're an yes. academic. <laughs>
0: yeah. So what would be the sort of the highlights of this conference for you that make it such a good memory?
2: Well, you meet people, you meet a lot of people that... I thought what I was doing was pretty obscure, and to some extent it was, but you meet everyone else in the world who is doing those obscure things, right. so in some ways you, you it becomes a bit more accepted for you, at least, that what you do is, is okay to do. That was my experience, at least, um, Yeah, I mean, and it was pretty friendly, all things considered. I mean, it's daunting, you have to present and so on, but it was pretty friendly. Yeah. My first was an AAG in Tampa, I think. And that that was a small
1: one. one. Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely preferred later in that year, I went to a North American regional science conference and Mm -hmm. much preferred that one. So I think that for me, it was more about finding what style of conference I like, how it was configured. I don't really enjoy the big conference with really short talks in as much as I can meet all of the people that go to those, right? That it's all your friends, it's all your you know, fellow colleagues, this th- kind of thing. But if it's actually about the, the work, I think I prefer the much more intensive, longer talks with a discussant kind of thing. So it, I think okay. for me, at least it depends on the form.
0: Well, this is a really good segue into sort of what makes a conference a conference, because we all know when we pay our registration fee or we submit an abstract or people start talking about upcoming conferences, that there's this idea of a conference. But it's actually a composition of lots of different sort of moving parts, and not every conference will have the same set of moving parts and i think maybe before we get too into our discussions it might be good to differentiate between sort of the people facing stuff the conversations and the networking and all the informal interactions from the more formal infrastructure apparatus of a conference and and over time i suppose we all sort out exactly which components of conferences we really like and don't like, and we may sort of naturally gravitate towards the conferences that have that optimal composition of what suits us. So for example, a meeting like the American Association of Geographers, which pre-pandemic would have topped out at like 8,000 people all in one location, and by one location, I mean one city. Big because <laughs> exactly, we're really talking about a convention center and like three or four other hotels, and sometimes a lot of hustling that's happening to and fro. And so, even though you would think everyone you know in geography in this case is at this conference, your probability of encountering any of these people by chance is actually pretty low because you're so spread out. But I thought, sort of, before we we do the fun part, I think like Danny and Levi, this is a people piece that I really like. But one thing to look at if you're sort of new to a conference and sort of thinking about how am I going to engage with this event is to have a look at the program uh, and look at how it's constructed. So almost every conference is going to have a plenary or two, sometimes they're called keynotes. Uh, Plenary generally means that there is nothing else in competition in that time slot. So in theory, everyone should be there. Now, I tend to be a not plenary person.
2: Really? Oh, yeah. That. That, so that I don't know.
0: Interesting. Okay. So, all right. Are you a plenary person? Today? I am.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like plenaries because one of the things, in, um, and I then Michael Weiner will mention that later. That sort of big conferences are good for is sort of to take the pulse of the field beyond yeah. your special, your special interest group. Um I always find that challenging because when people say I love going AG because you can see what's going on in the in the field, you know, I, I always wonder how do these people manage the eight thousand sessions, four hundred parallel sessions to take the pulse of the field. And to me the one way I have to take you know to get a more general view than the specific talks that I would like to see is plenaries, at least is it's a bit of curation of what the field of what's supposed to be hot in the field or hot enough to make it to the, you know, the non-competitive yeah. one track that that everyone is supposed to be attending to. You can agree with those talks or not, but, it, and sometimes, you know, I may have been known to leave them halfway, but that's sort of my way of... of taking the pulse of the, yeah. of the
0: broader field are you a plenary person in,
1: in insofar you kind of have to attend a plenary to have a conversation about it with the people that attend it right it's one okay. of those things <laughs> ah, that, so this is a water cooler conversation. exactly exactly yeah. because they are so big you you kind of go to them in a way to pay attention to it so that you can talk with the other attendees about it whereas the smaller sessions you know you might only have 20 people in them at a time and it's harder to connect with other people about the stuff you're seeing at the conference if you don't yeah. attend the plenaries. Yeah. But I mean it it's tough cuz I don't think many plenary speakers do a good enough job of striking the balance between forward thinking general state of the field and then the individual thing that the speaker does. And that right. it's really hard for all of us to balance that. Yeah. Yeah. But for it to be an effective kind of
2: event, I think it has to be that way. But you could argue that that's the point of a keynote, right? That giving someone the sort of the this spot on the light to say here is your 60 minutes talk about what you want makes what you want sort of the face of the field you can agree or disagree with that but that's that's perhaps the fun of keynotes that you
0: yeah i mean one thing i think i would say for sure which conference organizers to my mind often are confused by is that i would never choose to attend a conference based on who the keynotes are But most conferences seem to think that this is a selling point, that if they can just get their keynotes together, that somehow that's going to determine attendance to a certain extent. And I don't think that's true, Levi.
1: I think that that's probably true more in industry conferences. Like I know that for the Scientific Python conference that happens every summer, the the keynotes for those generally sell tickets. But I think that has to do with kind of the very different culture in an industrial conference or like at least like maybe a hybrid industrial academic conference where like some people need a reason to sell it to their boss to go do this training. Right, and it's right. this famous person who wrote this famous
2: library we all use, but in academia, I'm not sure that that applies. I think that's true except for new conferences. If you want to establish a new track or a new conference that no one knows about, you almost show your thinking by picking people who right. who will do the keynote. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, Maybe there aren't too many new conferences, but I think there are some where you want to attract a certain crowd and you know that certain speakers will draw that crowd, so you invite them for the keynote. Right.
0: So if you're thinking about attending a conference, one thing to do is to have a look at that program and see who the plenaries are and when they are. It's certainly an opportunity to see uh, lots of other attendees, in theory, all of them. And as Danny and Levi said, to sort of take the pulse of the field. Now, in-between plenaries is sort of the meat of the program, right? It's the sessions. But the way most larger conferences are going to work, these sessions are going to be stacked back to back to back. So AAG, for example, could have up to 60 concurrent sessions. Uh, And when there was still a printed program, the program would be like an inch-thick book. And for every slot, you would scour through 60 options of what you could attend. So one key takeaway here for any for actually for almost any conference that's going to have more than a couple of hundred attendees is that they're going to be concurrent sessions, more than one thing running in a time slot. And this means you need to do your homework before the beginning of the session. And you need to have a sense of which session you want to attend at a particular time. If it's a really big meeting, you need to think about where these sessions are taking place so that you sort of navigate, you you know where you're going to have to be after the session, where you're going to be before the session. And I know many conferences will even try to schedule papers in particular time slots within sessions so that in theory, you can move from paper to paper to paper. I don't know how are you, you guys kind of feel. Person, great hope? If there are people that I want to see, and I know that it's like my one opportunity. So one, one thing about sessions is that you know, in the plenary, you may not have come across the people you were really hoping to see because if everyone is there and it's several thousand people, then again, it's like looking for a little minnow in a very large sea. Whereas on a program, if you know that there's a particular person, either a friend or a colleague, or just someone whose work you really, really wanted to see, heading to that session is a really good chance to get to see that one Mm -hmm. person. So in those cases, I would jump across sessions. but otherwise, I tend to find it a little bit stressful. And in reality, very few sessions actually run that to tight. Time. Exactly. So you may have had these grand, grand plans of seeing three people in three different sessions in one time slot. Um, and that's not really going to, to work. Yeah, Levi. This
1: is why I think when I, I attended conferences, just starting in in graduate school i was given advice to do this kind of you know pick your pick the speakers you want to see and you know kind of hustle between them but something that i didn't really appreciate in those early years was that sometimes you kind of form a crew of people that all go to the same kinds of talks and it can be just as important to kind of i don't know spend time networking with those people that you mm-hmm. wouldn't see in any other context but you're going to talks kind of together kind yeah. of not and so it's less of a kind of point to point to point thing and more just rolling with the vibe of the group kind of thing. And I I think that that has value as well.
0: Right, and I think this actually provides some insight into the sort of hybrid or online conferences that we experienced during the pandemic, where for me, what I really missed about in-person conferences was sure hallway conversations and sure dinners out and all of that informal interaction. But it was actually that when you're in an in-person session sitting with other people that you know, you have somebody in real time where you can lean over and say, I was going to say a bad word, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, But what is this person actually talking about? Or that's super cool. Or I don't agree with this at all. And you can sort of read across like the people who are in your row, whether you know them or not, sort of how engaged people are with a particular topic. And that for me was sorely lacking uh, in an online format. And that is a thing that I really, really miss. Now, we've talked plenaries, we've talked sessions And then there is sort of the social component of programs. And every conference is going to have a social program. Sometimes it's excursions and field trips. Sometimes it's a set of receptions. Sometimes there's actually a sit-down meal uh, up to a few hundred people, and a conference is likely to have a luncheon or a conference dinner. And depending on the conference, that could be sort of a social high point. So in regional science, the European regional science meetings, the the. The conference dinner, the gala dinner is one for which uh, I would, for example, generally pack two or three dresses because I'm not really sure which dress I'm going to need for this really big event. And that is the only academic conference I attend where I have to actually think about my dress. Um, And other conferences will have a luncheon. And to me, this is where sort of the interface between the conference structure and the people bit, that outward facing bit where they come together. And where I think for a lot of us, there is there are a variety of forms of stress or anxiety associated with it. So, I mean, for me, the most, well, I can, I'll name two. One is going into a reception where you don't really know anyone, no. but of mm-hmm. course you're sure in your head that everyone else already has people to talk to and knows why they are there. And of course, in reality, this is not true, Uh, but it's also true that there's, the stakes feel pretty high if you end up talking to someone that you didn't really want to talk to and then you can't abandon them because they also don't know anyone else. So I just find receptions very stressful, but that pales in comparison to the stress I feel when walking into a banquet hall and seeing lots of rounds of tables set for 10 people each and knowing that you're gonna roll the dice and you're either going to have a fantastic couple of hours or maybe not. And it's slightly up to chance. So, my strategy in these situations, and of course, everyone's feelings are going to vary, but I'm very nervous about who's going to be sitting on my right and on my left. Or even worse, what if no one wants to sit with me at all? And so, a strategy that I've developed over the years is simply to sort of figure out who my table mates are going to be in advance and to try and get in early and 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 sort of have my table all set, because I find that very stressful, the watching people come in and watching them choose whether or not they're going to head to my table or not to my table. And I know lots of people don't feel that way. Lots of people think this is really exciting, but for me, it's a point of stress. And so that's how I've chosen to manage it. I don't know how you guys feel about receptions and luncheons.
1: Yeah, I mean, the premise of being sat next to or with a group that you just don't really feel Feel good around, or can't really have like a good conversation with that. That heightens, I think, this feeling of lost time at a conference because you've yeah. you've only got so much time to spend. And if I have to spend the whole, you know, luncheon with two hours with people I don't just really want to talk to, it, it can be pretty challenging. So I usually try and uh, actually arrive in a group. So I coordinate yes. ahead of time so that yeah. I know when I arrive, if it's late or early or whatever. I at least you know will try and arrive with a couple of people that might be able to find seats together. So that's usually how I deal with that kind of thing
2: yeah I think I either arrive with a, with my table group or if I'm feeling adventurous I try to arrive with one or two friends and yeah. then sort of collectively go explore a table with people we don't know because you do meet people sometimes that are by definition you wouldn't meet otherwise and sometimes it does it does work out but but the Challenge of doing that on my own, it may be a bit too daunting. Mm. Uh, I, the other thing I was going to say with with receptions is that it feels a bit less high stakes for me because you can always sort of walk away. It's a bit like a cocktail party full of academics, if you can imagine that. So if you're talking to someone and it's, it's I think it's part of the accepted language that after you talk a little bit, you can gravitate towards another group or you can go for a drink and then you know never return to that group and they feel a bit more i navigate FOMO better in those situations because i feel like the switching costs are a lot lower than once you've sat yeah. down on your table yeah. and you're committed to that thing <laughs>
0: i think yeah so maybe for both meals and more free-flowing receptions, if I were to come up with a piece of advice, would be, you know, to the extent that you can, have a wing person, right? Have, a, yes. have one partner. And at receptions, it doesn't mean that you're together the entire time, that you have to both talk to exactly the same people. But what it does mean is that you have an agreement that you can sort of meet up and touch base over the course of the reception and make sure that everything is going all right. And that at the end of the reception, when it starts to wind down, you're going to have a person there that you know you can leave with um, as everyone starts to sort of head off for dinner, for example. Uh, And I think that especially maybe for early career people, because I would say I think conference luncheons are really hard at the beginning of your career, because people don't necessarily want to talk to students. And I think maybe maybe I'm going on a limb here that it can be particularly risky or feel risky to be a female PhD student sitting at a table by yourself because you're either going to get lots of other cool people who sit with you or you're going to get the one really creepy person who sees you sitting by yourself so having a strategy at the outset for having one other person who's with you I think gives you the freedom to know that you've got that crutch if you need it right Um, but you might not uh, and certainly for receptions, I think that it's it's it makes it a little bit more fun if you know that you've got the net underneath yeah. you of knowing one other person who's there and that you're going to touch base um, towards the end. I don't know if it, either one of you wants to add anything before we sort of move on to the next stage of the...
1: I mean, there's just the, the kind of different kinds of sessions, I suppose, that you could go to. Yes. Papers versus yes. panels Very versus good point. Yeah. authors meet critics kind of ideas. yeah. I think, you know, it really depends on what you want to get out of the conference. But for me, I nearly always enjoy organizing and attending panels much more than talk sessions. And yeah. I think in particular, that's because it, you know, where where I tend to <laughs> have some frustrations with the way the plenaries can be constructed. Panels are really a good way for you to get a diversity of perspective on a topic that's usually at the cutting edge of the field. And I can m- remember many more panels that I've been to at conferences than I can individual sessions or even paper talks I don't know Mm. what do you think
2: I I like panels better than normal sessions because normal sessions is basically transcribing a paper that's actually not finished usually that's the whole point of it into a 15-minute talk or seven-minute talk or three-minute talk well panels is something that unless you go to a conference you won't have something like that you won't be, you won't see people discussing with, well, at their best, you won't see people discussing with each other, giving giving their opinions. I mean, papers are opinions, but they're a very particular structured set of opinions. Well, panels, I think, are more free, free-flowing events. Um,
0: yeah, I think that panels that are well-orchestrated, where participants have prepared well, can be very interesting. And you certainly do... have the assurance that you're going to see lots of different people talking about a topic and you know a paper session is very linear if you have first one person then another person and then another person. What I would say about paper sessions everywhere is that especially in the first few years that you're going to conferences there is a little bit speaking for myself anyway a tendency to be very wrapped up in the time that I'm going to have to give my talk and I have this laser focus I used to have a laser focus on when I needed to be talking and be very much focused on making sure that I was prepared for my talk. And that might sometimes have meant that I wasn't benefiting from attending other paper sessions because I was so focused on the, the pushing out of information as opposed to the taking in of information. But w- w- when you attend a paper session, there are at least two things happening. One is like the actual information, the talk. The paper might not be finished. The research is in progress. It may or may not have come together super well. The person may or may not be prepared. But what you're learning sort of on the front end is how to give a talk, right? Yeah. And so you're taking in all this information who end on time, people who go late. And so- Who are those? Who are <laughs> <them>? <laughs> Tell so, me. So I would, you know, I, I, I tend to- yeah, I, I like both. What That's I really true. like are conferences that have a diversity of formats of conveying information. And I think we've moved a little bit away from paper presentations being about work and progress. And it seems to me that they either are works that haven't even started yet, and they're all forward looking, or the paper's already in press and there just isn't so much that you can do. You you can give advice or ask questions, but you're not going to actually change, change how the research is being done. And so the best kinds of presentations and sessions I think are the ones where people are still wide open and looking for feedback and you might actually get some really good advice on how to do something slightly differently and I have to say it's pretty rare in my experience but when it happens it's really really useful and is actually what conferences are supposed to be doing aside from the networking yeah. piece. And on
2: that point something that not every conference and definitely big ones do don't have, but some do. And some fields like economics do, I think more often is having discussions where you have someone who's in charge of reading your paper ahead of time or reading yeah. whatever document you send, whether that's the abstract, the title or, or the slides and coming up with a commentary at least, or, yes. or with a set of feedback and you get, at least you get sure that A, someone <laughs> will listen to the talk. But also, B, you get sort of the, you get feedback and sort of to your point, Rachel, of going to talks to paper sessions to learn how to give a talk, there's so much also to learn from people who are good at being good discussants and yes. how they synthesize the, the important parts and how they come up with the really important comments rather than the finicky details that obviously they're wrong because the paper is in progress um and I've learned a lot from well, people who've discussed my papers, but also from seeing people discuss other papers, because it's really about how to synthesize information when you don't have the whole set, but you want to be useful and you want to be- um, Constructive. Constructive, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. So for eight years, I ran the Western Regional Science Association, which is famous in regional science for having 45 minute paper slots. So you get half an hour to talk, you get a discussant, and then you get time for questions. And as somebody who would put together these sessions, and then this was a little bit unusual, I think, relative to every other regional science conference, but discussants were generally assigned from outside the session. So what you're doing is manufacturing session attendance, in essence, right? So uh, we don't have time to talk about the mechanics of putting together sessions and putting together conferences, but there is an art to it of sort of working out how many people you expect to have in the room, how much diversity of perspective there's going to be. And often, if you look at... Uh, the way AAG puts together sessions, you'll see the chair is generally the last presenter, right? That's very smart. It, that is the one person who has an incentive to keep everyone on time, right? Uh, or regional science where you have discussants and a chair, but they're they're basically rotating within session, um, which has its advantages. It means that everyone should, in theory, be there, right? And if you're drawing your discussant from some other session, the... You might uh, want to
2: pay back. Yeah. Well, and the
0: logistics, I mean, I can say even for a conference of 200 or 250 people, if you're pulling all of your discussions from another section, the conflicts, the time conflicts mm-hmm. that arise when you've got six concurrent sessions are just massive. But, but there, you know, it's interesting when we reach the point of organizing our own workshops or in our own conferences to think about what kinds of interaction are we hoping to manufacture because some of this gets built into the structure of the conference. Now, I think. You can probably tell, dear listeners, that we could talk all day about our perspectives on conferences. But when we were putting this episode together, we thought, you know, it'd be really cool. Would be really cool to be to talk to some other people about how they conference. And so, what we've done is each of us gone out and talked to someone. And so, what we're going to do is a little bit of experimentation, glad experimentation, <laughs> we haven't tried this yet, where we actually are going to insert some segments into the overall episode. And so the first person that we spoke to was Michael Widener, who's an Associate Professor of Geography at the University of Toronto, and is pretty well known for working in in the area of health geography and spatial analysis and GIS science. Um, Danny, you spoke to Mike, yes.
2: I talked to Mike and you can tell that we are learning uh, by the quality of the recording. Uh, Yeah, it was really interesting. And this is something that worked out really good. But just for full disclosure, I, I at least hadn't thought about it when we thought about Mike, how good of an example it is as someone who really sits across different cultures, different academic cultures. And this is something we haven't mentioned much yet. but how to conference really depends on the field you're in. So probably if you're in psychology, conferences are in one way. From my own experience, I know conferences in geography are very different from conferences in economics, for example, and conferences in computing. Uh, So every academic discipline has its own way of conferencing and and its own way of mostly non-written rules about how conferences run. So Mike is someone who sits across traditional geography, GI science, then health geographies, and then does a bunch of public health. And each of those are very, very different worlds. So it was very interesting to talk to him about how he navigates that. And to me, one of my takeaways, you'll you'll hear it, or you will have heard it, um, is how he actually thinks of himself as a chameleon, depending on the conference that that he goes to, how he behaves different and tries to use the, the rules he knows the conference runs by to to contribute to that conference but if if he if it's a, a discipline that he's not super comfortable n- not comfortable but it's a discipline that he doesn't know very well, he tries to be a bit more cautious about the interactions that he has or the the participation that he has well if it's a, a home conference so so to speak, uh, he will have a much more active role trying to connect people trying to link up people and and so and, and that to some extent really resonated I hadn't thought about that. I've done a little bit of conferences outside my own comfort zone and it almost comes natural to be, at least for me, to be, I don't know if shy is the 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 word, but at least to be less fully active with place in places where you don't know the community fully and where you don't know the these tacit non-written rules. Um so it was really interesting that he was very, very explicit and this is something I didn't even send in the email questions and when I asked him on the spot, he didn't doubt a second. This is this is how I do it. So it was really interesting. How? How about your personas? Your-
0: well, let's hear from Michael.
2: Okay, Michael Weiner. Nice to meet you and good to see you again. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, before we ask you about conferences, uh, let's start by by introducing you. Who? Who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me, Danny. I'm uh, Michael Widener. I'm an associate professor in Canada, research chair at the University of Toronto, St. George. Uh, And I do a lot of work on how cities impact health and how people uh, access food in in cities around North America.
2: Cool. Super exciting. Uh, One of the reasons why we we invited you, uh, this is the episode on conferences, is We've always thought that it's really interesting. you so you're a geographer by training, but you work a lot with public health people and and well with people from many disciplines. but your area seems to be split across many, many conferences. so i we always thought that it would be really interesting to get the view, the perspective of someone who is really at the edge at the and at the intersection of different venues or different uh, disciplines because I think if anything the the questions and the Decisions you have to make about how you approach attending conferences mul- multiplying in complexity. Um, before we, we talk about more deeply about your, your decision process on that, what do you think is your conference persona? If if you had to pick yourself out of the crowd, uh, how do you approach conferences? And, and how do you think you're seen uh, in conferences?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it... it you're right i go to a lot of different types of conferences everything from uh you know public health oriented conferences uh conferences in in geography generally to more sort of technical gi science conferences to transportation ones or ones on time use and so it my persona really depends on uh what kind of conference i'm actually attending um so maybe my persona isn't really it's not really a persona, it's more of an animal spirit. Like, I I guess I'm a bit of a chameleon in the sense that, um, you know, depending on which of the communities I'm in, I I kind of take on a different kind of uh, uh, strategy for interacting with people, for navigating the conference. Um, And so in like my home field, I'm a geographer, like you said, um, I tend to be, little bit more out there networking with people like trying to meet uh new up-and-coming researchers and you know connecting with old friends and colleagues um whereas at other conferences so for example i recently went to um the international association of time use research conference for the first time um and this last summer and um that's the first time i ever went to that conference i knew maybe two or three people there um, and I, I tended to take more of a backseat, uh, role. I would say, you know, I wasn't asking questions all the time. I was just trying to learn and understand, you know, what is this community? What is this research? Um, so, so yeah, the persona really kind of depends on, on where you're at. And I think that's not such a bad thing. You kind of want to know your place in these different conferences.
2: And do you do this? purposefully like do you approach this as a as a conscious decision or it just so happens that because you don't know as many people or because you do know many people your your role and your uh animal spirit ends up ends up changing
3: yeah i mean i i think it it is conscious um because you know you don't want to be the outsider who comes in and thinks they know everything about some mm. uh body of work right so I, i'm relatively new to the time use world and Um, You know, I know a bit, but, you know, these are people who've been going to this conference for decades. Um, And so, you know, having a little humility in in a new space is never a bad thing. Um, Whereas in geography, I mean, I think, you know, I, I view my role as one where I'm trying to introduce, you know, junior scholars to new people. So like trying to introduce people I know who are maybe more senior prominent researchers to new up and coming phd students or assistant professors um you know i wouldn't do that at the time use research conference yes. because that's not my place um so you know just kind of knowing like knowing the network that you have and like not really
2: and what um, place taking you, play, the... you play in that network yeah
3: yeah yeah you don't want to you don't want to overstep uh, because if you do you kind of come off um you come off a, a little, a little weird, I <laughs> think, right? Um, people, people don't want outsiders just sort of taking over, um, necessarily, uh, if they don't know the community, if they don't know the the topic, maybe as well as uh, you know more established people in the community do.
2: Yeah, and with with such a variety of conferences, how do you do? Uh, portfolio optimization here. What's your <laughs> investing strategy when deciding when to go to a conference or not, and which conference do you go? Do you is that a New Year resolution that in Christmas every every January you sit down and write the list of conferences you want to go, or or is it more as it happens? Or how do you approach those decisions?
3: I think I've become more strategic about it over time. Um, I think initially. You know, I would say for junior scholars, especially pre-tenure ones in the North American context, like visibility is really important because at some point um more senior scholars are going to need to review your portfolio and like having the opportunity to like meet those people and share your work across a wide um uh breadth of of audiences is is, is important. But I think, you know, over time I kind of learned like there's I, I like to take the sort of Uh, you have your core conference like find your your main conference and then you can kind of round that out with smaller or more niche conferences um so for me like my my big my super bowl is the imgs the international medical geography symposium which happens every two years uh sort of maybe almost the same would be the aag uh but That one's a little bit different in its character, but like the IMGS, those are my people. Like that's the one I need to go to every two years. And so that's like on the calendar. And then- How big is it? IMGS is not huge. It's like 200 200 to 300 people maybe, I think. Hmm. Uh, It's not not massive. Um, And it rotates like it's in, you know, uh, North America, Europe or the UK, and like it was in New Zealand five years ago. So it, it can be quite difficult to get to. So I've skipped some just because I couldn't afford to go. Um, but, you know, you, you want to find like your main conference or, or maybe a couple of conferences where like your people are going to be. Um, and I think that that should be in your calendar every year or every two years. And then Once you have that, like, I think the other thing you want to think about is like, well, what am I actually working on now? Or who are the people I want to be meeting who are working on stuff that I'm interested in? And so that's where you can kind of find the more niche things that may be happening uh, around, you know, more locally or maybe around the world. So I, I think taking that sort of like, like, this is my community, I need to make sure I'm seen here, I'm meeting people here and presenting my work here to the sort of field that I'm in is important, but then you can kind of take a secondary conference or two uh, to really try to round out and build your knowledge, build new communities.
2: And do you have a ratio of how many uh, useful suspects kind of conferences versus new horizons you attend, or it depends based on the year, the project you're working on and, and so on?
3: Yeah, it depends. I I think I, I think two is a good number if you're able to uh, do it. I mean, it, conferencing can be really expensive, and you know, I, I want to say like I recognize that not everyone's able to like just go for a week uh, to these things. But I think if you're able to do two, I think that's a like a a reasonable number um, because that allows you to do the sort of main. Conference. So if the ratio would be, you know, 50 50, like one one conference in your community, one conference, maybe that's more niche. Um, because you're, that allows you to be seen. It allows people to sort of in your field to, like, okay, this is what Michael's doing. This is what he's up to now. And then this other conference can be like, oh, you're introducing yourself to a new public health community or a new community in sociology. Um, and they get to know about your work, and you get to learn about their work. And so that that ratio, I think, works pretty well.
2: How, how about the size of the conference? Is that something you take into account? Uh, to me, it's almost it, it's a good proxy for thinking through some of the the areas that you were mentioning before in terms of the kinds of communities and the the role they have. What how do you what's your thinking at, about the the type of conference as in the size of their conference?
3: Yeah, I I think the size uh, matters in this case, right? Like you want to, um, you know, uh, there are benefits to big conferences uh, that just simply don't exist at small conferences. And there are benefits to small conferences that um, you really just can't, you don't get the same thing out of a big conference. Um, I think the benefit to the bigger conferences is that you're able to really get a sense of what's happening across a discipline and in geography I think that's important um, I mean I I'm a card carrying geographer and so you know you know I exist in this sort of health geography spatial data science space but you know I think it's important for me to understand like you know what's the health of the field more generally so what's happening in um, know, environmental geography or other parts of the field that um, and those big conferences, let me do that. The other thing that's nice about big conferences is you can create a small conference out of them that might be a little bit more custom than something that is just inherently a small conference. So, for example, at the AAG, which is a big conference, I tend to sort of customize my path. So I'll like look at what all the specialty groups are doing and I can kind of pick out the special sessions that, you know, appeal to me. So the reason I like the big conferences is because I can go to the health and medical geography specialty group sessions, but then also I can go to like the spatial analysis specialty group sessions, which maybe I wouldn't get that same mix at the the medical geography symposium, the IMGS. So that allows you to sort of carve out your own custom small conference. You just have to be really intentional around you know, session planning and sort of strategizing around what you, what you pick, I guess the smaller conferences on the other hand, and maybe you find this too, I think you get to know people a lot better because you're just around, you know, anywhere from 50 to 150 people, uh, for a few days. And there's just more face time. And so it's a better sort of networking opportunity. You develop deeper connections with people than you might at a place like AAG.
2: Yeah, to me, uh, big conferences are about weak ties and, and small conferences are about strong ties, maybe less of them, but but more meaningful. And the, the smaller conferences, I tend to pick ones that are a perfect fit for what I do, while larger, there's the element of what you say that it's, it's taking the pulse of a bigger field. Final one on, on conferences, uh, in-person or hybrid or remote? <laughs> this is a controversial one. You can be as controversial as you want.
3: I, I, I think that it's important for a number of reasons that we have virtual um, opportunities to present our work. I don't like virtual conferences because I think what we've done is we've taken uh, an in-person format and just sort of you know shoved it into this sort of virtual space. And I don't think it works well. So sitting in front of your computer for three days, watching Zoom presentations alone is, to me, not an enjoyable experience. I find it's hard for me to pay attention. Um, and, you know, initially I was really trying to be involved, but at near the end of the pandemic, when I was going to more of these virtual conferences, I was just showing up for my session, maybe going to one or two others, and like the sort of benefits that I felt really came from going to a conference were, were a bit more lost, at least on me. Um, that said, so so I guess what I'm saying like, is that like, I don't know, maybe maybe you, I'd like to know what you think about this, because I think like we do need to have something that's like a virtual conference, but I think that we need to rethink about what that is. Like maybe it's something where we do, You know, one or two sessions every Friday for a month, Um, you know, so it's not like this big thing uh, that happens over three days in your office where you're just staring at Zoom. So I I don't know. That's my my feeling about it is that I'm not a big fan of virtual. I think we need
2: to make hybrid conferences actually hybrid, but we don't I don't know yet what that looks like. And that's hard. evolved. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard.
3: Because the hy- hybrid ones are, are tricky because um, I, I find that the people who are virtual tend to not be as involved as the people who are there in person. And so the experiences are wildly different. Um, I mean, mm. it's it's important to allow them to be included in, in those types of opportunities. But uh, I think we need to do more work in thinking how like this might actually benefit people who are both virtual and in person and i'm not sure that we're there yet
2: yeah i I agree i think we're in for some fun innovation hopefully in the in the coming years and i expect that or i hope rather than expect that in 10 years it'll be a very different different space um final area that i wanted to touch and discuss with you what pieces of wisdom, advice, recommendations would you have for newer academics, early career folks who are starting to get into the world of of conferencing? And it seems a bit daunting. It seems a bit like there's a lot of tacit knowledge that is really hard to grasp. There isn't the, this is how I do conferences on, on the conference website. And what would you tell them?
3: <sighs> yeah, it, it, it kind of depends on their... Personalities like what are their co- conference personas like, what, or what will they become? um But I think you know the the general advice. At least the advice I give my students is like it's okay to pace yourself. Like uh, certain conferences, uh, the TRB at, in DC, the Transportation Research Board conference, is notorious for this. But they have sessions. I don't remember what they are now, but it's like eight AM until like seven PM or something like that. Like you don't have to go to every session. That's okay to like. Take some breaks, uh, you know, find the ones that you like that you're interested in and like pace yourself over the course of the, over the course of the conference. Um, so it's okay to not be on for that period of time. Cause if you do that, you're just gonna be tired and and you won't really benefit from from the sessions you do go to. Um, I think the breaks are important. Like I think it's okay to like think about. Organizing social lunches with, you know, people that you've met, um, from other places. Um, I think that it's also important when you go to conferences, if you're a new, new person there to sort of separate yourself out from the community, you know? So if you go to a new conference and you're maybe a grad student, um, and you're there with a bunch of other grad students from your university, like make an effort to not just hang out with your friends that you already know, cause you get to hang out with them all the time where you are right like wherever you're based so make an effort to like go to specialty groups go to professional development uh sessions where you can meet new people and build out your network because that network's really going to benefit you down the road um and if you just hang out with the people that you already know and the people that you go to school with or that you work with um you know you're not Building those strong connections, like you said, those uh, those new ties that are important to, to sort of build your career later on. So I think those are those are probably some of the the biggest things.
2: Super, this is fantastic. And two final things. I think you've maybe insinuated one, uh, but do you remember what was your first conference and what is your favorite conference?
3: <laughs> yeah, I do remember. My first conference was at at the two. Thousand. Was it two well, thousand? Yeah, we could 2000...
2: put a number here. I'm
3: gonna put it five. Yeah, yeah. It's two thousand five five or no two thousand six. I think. Chicago AAG. Um, I was an undergrad at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and um, I presented a poster, and I still actually have the PowerPoint poster thing that I put together, wow. and it's a, a little embarrassing to look at now. It's like purple and like the. Like I have like all sorts of dense tables and stuff that were of like OLS models that like I would maybe assign a C to now in my course. But like um, so but it was a really great experience because as an undergrad, I got to see like, wow, this diverse field has all this stuff going on. There's all these interesting people and talks. So uh, it was a really great experience. Um, my favorite conference, I think I would say. Yeah, I mean, well, it would be the IMGS conferences. I think they do a really good job. It's like it it hits that sweet spot of not being too big, but not being too small. Um, you know, the people that organize it tend to do just an excellent job. So the the last one was in Edinburgh, which was uh lovely, you know, it was disrupted by the pandemic, unfortunately, and, and some train strikes and all sorts of fun things. But um it was it was really well done. Uh then the one before that was in New Zealand. And we have one coming up soon, I think next year in, in Atlanta, Georgia, in the US. So, I mean, that conference, I think, does a really excellent job of sort of having a diverse set of sessions, uh, but not being so big that you can't kind of wayfind and like, you know, make the connections that are important uh, for any career level
0: that's great I'm so glad that you did that Danny did you enjoy it
2: yeah it, it was fantastic I mean um, it, it was the first time we did this or that I was doing this and it was really interesting to to just see how thing how topics come up in the conversation and as I was saying before we we heard him this idea of changing personas almost having I mean, your your geography suit or your public health suit when you go to a different conference uh, was something that it struck me as, as quite astute in some ways. Um, the other thing I really appreciated of the conversation is how uh, how good he is basically at distilling a lot of these pieces of advice that we, we've we been thinking about on, on how to conference, how to, you know, just because there's a million sessions doesn't mean you have to go to a million <laughs> sessions. <laughs> right. and, mm-hmm. Just because the conference officially starts at 8 a.m., it doesn't mean you have to be there every single time. And, and how you think about sort of planning your your uh, calendar of uh, of conferences and and this is something also that I've I've thought about that it also changes over your career. Yes. It's not the same how you choose the conferences you go to when you're a PhD student as to when you're a, a, a full professor. And I think there's a lot of knowledge packed into that just that handful of of minutes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think also how I have navigated conferences has changed. I'm not sure I would be able to say what my conference persona is. I could say what it is now, but it definitely hasn't held constant, and I think... When I was earlier in my career, I was much more careful about checking the program to see what was going on, Um, seeing who was going to be at a particular conference, making all of my plans. Who was I hoping to have lunch with? Who did I want to have coffee with? Who did I need to catch up with? How many dinners were there? And what did I think I wanted to do for those dinners? And I still do some of that. Uh, partly because I just really enjoy going to a new city and and knowing that there are restaurants that I would really like to try. And as you get to know people better, there are always those people who want to have a nice dinner donuts. or two in a new <laughs> city. or donuts, Danny and I always meet for donuts uh, when we're together at conferences. So over time, I've had to do less pl- explicit planning for those things because they seem to happen more organically. Uh, and I'm more comfortable in the conferences that I go to knowing that there are going to be several different groups of people that I, that I belong to have gathered. I find conferences a little bit stressful. Um, but what has changed is that I now have strategies for managing the stress as opposed to just experiencing them as stressful events. I now, I really enjoy conferences. Um, but I think it's because I've come up with lots of little tricks for how to make it a little bit easier for me yeah
1: and i think too it's it's interesting because there's probably many conferences which you might say that you feel at home in that community right but then Mm. for a scholar like michael who refers to kind of going to medical conferences and geography conferences very distinct crowds with different norms and different social crews so i i can totally understand how that would even amplify the the difficulty of having to Mm -hmm. come up with those those practices so it is a challenging thing thinking of, you know, I have attended regional science conferences, geography conferences, a couple of computer science ones. And it is it is very different and you you kind of do have to do different things because the the culture and practices and the people are different in all of the all of the different venues and 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 disciplines. So so I can totally understand that kind of uh, importance of thinking about how you are in relation to the community that's at the conference as well.
0: For sure. Um... But I would say that where, so I do sometimes attend conferences that are not in my particular area and where I would have 10 or 15 years ago been very much at a loss in the evenings for what to do because I didn't know people. And the fact is that, Uh, at any conference that you go to, there will be people who've known each other for 10 or 20 years and they've already got their plans. They're really hoping to catch up with each other. So if you are new to a conference, unless you've got a plan, you're very likely to have lots and lots of empty time. And so the thing I would do differently now is that I would say to myself, okay, so assuming I've got three evenings where maybe nothing has emerged for a meal, what am I going to do to make sure that I'm not sitting around either alone in my hotel room or in the lobby feeling this Either FOMO, yeah. but also just like at a loss because everyone else is doing something and I don't know how. And so now I'm very explicit. I do lots of research about places to eat. I know where I might get carry out. I know which restaurants will have bar counters where I can sit and have a meal by myself. And I'm just very deliberate in making sure that I fill those blocks of time where I might feel excluded if I let myself feel that way.
2: Yeah. I think a couple of extra thoughts I, I had on doing conferences across different academic cultures. one, for early career folks, I think this is your world. Like I think we have sort of been brought up in, in a world where you could just build your career, go into a set of conferences and, and that's it. And I think that world is disappearing slowly and it's, there's gonna be a continuum of, of academic disciplines, I think, or there is. So the, this idea of having to go to places that you don't know exactly how they work, is, is probably going to be, I think, more common practice than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and somewhat related to that, I think something I've realized over time, for me, is very easy to get comfortable in conferences I know. So I, I try to now, when I'm doing my, my conference diet, so to speak, like Michael talked about, split between you know, like comfort food or experimental food, comfort mm-hmm. conferences that I know, you know, who's going there, they're going to make me feel good. They're probably going to understand the stuff I'm going gonna—I'm talking about. Um, and and in, there's value in those. I think there's a huge value in those. It's all about strong ties, I think. But I also try to sneak in every now and then conference I've never been to. I don't know anyone is a different crowd um, because they keep you on your toes. They show you new perspectives and it's a way, it's like traveling. <laughs> yeah. You can you sort of see different ways of, of seeing the world.
0: Well, and another thing that's changed over time that I think is really important is just technology. Mm. I mean, so when I first started going to conferences, which would have been the late 1990s, early 2000s, we didn't even really take our laptops to conferences. And so if you didn't know people and you were at a conference of several thousand people, that that thing that people do now, for example, of sitting in the hotel lobby and waiting for the accidental encounters, you could do that, but you needed to have some I papers look to awkward. look at. <laughs> yeah. Whereas now at first it was laptops, uh, and now it's phones. And there are lots of reasons I think to to not like mobile phones and conferences. For one thing, we all tend to just look at them more often than we probably should. But the advantage is that you never really have to feel out of place anymore. If you're waiting for people or you don't know anyone, you can always just, I don't know, read the newspaper on your phone and sort of not feel so isolated perhaps. So I think it's also interesting just to think about people sort of coming up now, have all these extra tools at hand Mm. to navigate that process of not knowing anyone uh, and I find that really interesting and I would love to hear from people um, how they experience conferences. Now, tweet at us. Yeah. Tweet at us, <laughs> or please. Or <toot laughs> at us. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: um, now, so we did. We talked to another person. Uh, Levi talked to Triselyn Nelson, who's a professor in geography at the University of California, S- Santa Barbara. She's the Dangerman chair, in fact. And how was that, Levi?
1: Yeah, it was interesting. It was definitely a, um, a very different set of topics that we we covered from kind of the same starting point uh, as Danny and Michael. We ended up talking a lot more about kind of what conferences worked for Trisalyn and why, and and kind of learning a little bit about how, you know, your tastes and preferences for what you like can change over the course of your career for many different reasons. So. We, we talked a little bit about that, um, and then we also talked a little bit about whether or not conferences are work, and if they are, mm-hmm. who's doing that work and who isn't, or at least who's seen to be doing so. So I think uh, at this point, I'll let Trislin speak for herself now, um, but yeah, it was a great conversation.
0: Yeah, let's hear from Trislin.
4: Going to a conference is a huge investment in terms of your time, in terms of a cost, in terms of your like physical energy, yeah. and also in terms of your climate.
1: Yeah, your footprint. Uh
4: credits or anti-climate credits. And so I have found over the years, like sometimes I go to a conference and I'm so glad I went. It was you know, I, I hooked up with the right people, my talk was well attended, and I come back really energized. And sometimes I go to conference, I can't find the people I'm looking for, I feel really frustrated, my my talks at a really crappy time and nobody comes, or maybe my talk was just bad and not interesting and no one comes. <laughs> And um, I leave like really with less energy and a big pile of email and work that is hard to get caught up on. Gotcha. And then also there's like this mom cost of going. So my kids are bigger now. It's a lot easier. But when they were little, it was like, you know, going away for a couple of days. You know, when they were little, I had to take like a breast pump. And then you have to find a spot to do that and try and keep the milk cold. And then it's hard to fly with the liquids. And so they're... Yeah, and just like feeling like feeling like no matter how good of a conversation I had about research, I was still like really ripped off that I wasn't there for bedtime, yeah. that kind of thing. So over the years, I've been pretty sparse, I'd say, in my conference attendance in part because I had my first baby um, maybe, maybe a year after being a prof- an assistant professor. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant and then had two kids. So it was a little bit in response to that. And for many years, it actually didn't have much of a negative impact on my career. I'd actually say like not going to conferences created space for me to like be pretty productive. And I did attend a few conferences and I have some like very great conference memories. But actually, as I've gotten more senior in my career and also as I've moved from Canada to the US and also like right now as... Like maybe some of us are a little less active on Twitter and some social media, given the politics that we're like. I personally am wrestling with. I am starting to notice that I feel I'm missing that kind of connection. So I think actually during the pandemic, I got a lot of that conference connection through social media, and I was actually loving it yeah. because it was I didn't have to to make all those trade offs, and I could still um talked to folks that I wanted to to know what they were doing and wanted to share what I was doing but but now I'm sort of feeling like I don't have a good sense of who the up and comers are in our field. I don't know like when we're running an assistant professor search who I want to be like reaching out to to apply for my jobs. And you know I'm looking for uh, the GIS community in the US is huge yeah. and so it's hard to keep, yeah. you know, your finger on that.
1: So would it be fair to say then, like personally, the parts of the conferences that you like are seeing the people that you know and kind of connecting with them. And then professionally, it's more about kind of understanding that landscape.
4: Yeah, but I think those things are not separate. So, sure. you know, at the end of the day, my favorite part of academia is, like, is collaboration, which means it's really about relationships. So I, identifying people whose ideas. Maybe are on the edge of your ideas, so that those are like great collaborations. But then also, you know, collaboration is also it's a bit of chemistry. So yeah. it's hard to it's hard to find that if you don't go off to conferences.
1: Sure, yeah. So. Just reading the titles, you don't know what they're like. Yeah,
4: yeah, you don't know what they're like, and then you go for dinner with a group of people that you know who bring some people that they know, and then you're like, oh, I've always wished to meet this person, or I didn't know I should be wishing to meet this person. So, you know, it is very much i think the relationships more than sitting through talks that you know i find to be the benefit of conferences
1: yeah no that makes sense it's um it's interesting because there's you know everybody has a different way of attending a conference right and some people you know are the type of people to go on the in the running groups at 6am and see you know who's up to run together these kinds of things do you have like a way that you like to conference when you go? Or is is it just kind of whatever strikes your fancy? Do you come with a strategy or anything?
0: I
4: don't usually come with too much of a strategy. I feel like I'm usually like coming in hot, you know, I got... <laughs> So I'm usually getting there and then trying to figure out, okay, what is it that I want to be doing? What's going on? So I think, you know, conferences have gotten a lot better over the years about having ways of sort, you know, sort of sorting and sifting through um, the, the material, especially something as big as the AAG. My, my recommendation maybe to um, newcomers to the conference scene is pick a couple of things that you do every single year. Like if you're going to go to the AAG, pick a couple of lectures that you go to every single year. Because, you know, one thing we know about relationship building is that you have to see people frequent, like multiple times. And so um, I think the the people who I think are doing it better than I am are people who have followed a particular specialty group or created some kind of community um, out of the conference. So I'd say like, you know, look through the AAG specialty groups and figure out which one aligns and then maybe commit to a few years to following those materials or, th- or those sessions so that you can interact with the same people over and over and start to find, you know, your geography tribe, so to speak. I think sure. you know, I think that is a is something that can be quite beneficial, particularly when the conference is big.
1: Yeah, like AAG is right. So would you say that you have a a couple of ones that you like to go to frequently and then some you don't or like maybe less frequently, I guess, what, what, what is the kind of conference landscape for you look like? What do you tend to enjoy?
4: So actually, um, my favorite thing to do is not to attend a conference, but to attend a, like to give invited talks. So I really love to give invited talks where I get to go and spend a day or two at a particular institution and sort of build those deeper connections. Um, so that's my favorite thing to do. So next to that, I'd say like, I, I like a small conference. So where everybody is stuck in the same room for the whole thing. So in Canada, there's this conference called ski, spatial knowledge information, and you actually ski all day and then go to conference, do your conferencing all night. This is really great, except for the number of students I've had get injured over the years. It's (laughs) the best. I, (laughs) I don't know if it's the way to protect the brain trust, but, um, you know, I, I like that kind of, you know, there's some social and some um, some work, but it's all kind of... T- so maybe more workshop style
1: Yeah, is, yeah.
4: is my preference.
1: Well, it's interesting because some people prefer the kind of smaller, more intimate kinds of conferences because it gives you more opportunity to connect with people. But then others like the bigger conferences because it gives them more opportunity to kind of change up who they're meeting with and talking to kind of around the conference. So it's interesting. Cause I think there's always a mix.
4: Yeah, for sure. And I also, and you know, one piece of advice I've often heard is try and attend a few things that are really outside your area. And I love this idea, but in practice, I find it super hard to sit through. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. No, that does make sense. You talk a lot about your, your family and balancing kind of family career Concerns and you know, it's really tough. We'll be talking to quite a few people throughout the course of this episode, but I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to how you know you might have done that uh, over your career.
4: Yeah, it was super great before my kids started school because we so my husband is also a geography professor, so we could often attend the same conferences and our areas are different enough that we could divide and conquer in terms of childcare. So we have taken our kids to many conferences. Um, and, you know, I still like to do that. In fact, I just got back from being in Vancouver where I was giving a talk at Simon Fraser University and I took my son with me. (laughs) He's old enough now. He doesn't need another parent there. He can go tour around the university. But I do think it is really um, one of the perks of being an academic is the opportunity to, um, experience new places, and when you can build in flexibility to take your family with you, I think that's great. I also think it's really helpful for uh, the folks coming up behind us to see, you know, see us at conferences with our kids because it kind of sends a message that you have the right to have both parts of your life thrive, and that conferences need to be accommodating. And I you know, I think most people are very accommodating to having kids there. That said, there is a sweet, sweet mercy to going by yourself sometimes. And, you know, I think that's also permitted and wonderful for people who, you know, benefit from that break. The thing I can't stand is when my husband goes away for work travel, the, the, expect, the, the perception around him is like, oh, how did your work go? When I go away by myself for work travel, people always comment on, oh, I hope you got a good break. And I hate that because it's it's like you know, it's still work whether or not whoever is going. And it's just because, you know, I'm a parent and we're both parents, but the perception is that women are getting a break when they go work and they go on a trip by themselves. So I do, uh, I do find that irritating.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I can totally understand. No, that's, it's gotta be challenging to kind of deal with that. Um, I guess other, other kinds of things that we had, uh, on deck, um, would be things like your favorite kind of, you know, academic conferences that you enjoy, or maybe your favorite conference memory.
4: Well, one of my first—it wasn't my first academic conference, but it was highly memorable. Was yeah. um, <laughs> we? It was in tw- two thousand seven. It was the okay. Canadian Association of Geographers, which was held in Saskatoon, and my PhD advisor Barry Boots was retiring, so we held a special session for Barry. And we, I asked him who he wanted me to invite. And so he asked for Atsuo Kabi, who he'd done a lot of work on Verona polygons with, and Art Geddes. And Art had been his PhD advisor. And so um, a number of, it was, I was in my first tenure track job. So I had some students with me. um, And then we had, you know, people he'd worked with over the years and people that were there. And So we had like some nice sessions where we talked about spatial pattern analysis, which was really fun. I made a variety of cookies all in the shape of different kinds of spatial pattern phenomenon. So I had Verona polygon cookies. It's like a sugar cookie, which you tessellate. So you don't waste any dough. I was so excited about that. I had random point patterns. We had kernel density estimators. And then we went, um, Barry's request, because he was really into military history, was that we visit some like historical military sites in Sask- in Saskatchewan. So we did that and we all had, we had, uh, this is before we all had, I didn't have a cell phone, I don't think. So we had um, walkie-talkies and we all had call signs. And so Art Geddes was GI Star, that was his call sign. And mine was kernel density because I use a lot of kernel densities in my work. Anyways, it was like kind of the perfect mix of um, getting to meet your heroes is getting your your first students to be exposed to these people um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, thinking about where the field's been and where it's going, which I always like to look at that trajectory. And then Art Geddes invited me to San Diego um, to give a talk, which was my first experience really with that being invited someplace where you get to go and have an intensive sort of experience, which was huge for my career. So I think that is probably my top conference memory.
1: Gotcha. And it's something that kind of, you know, fits in this mold of relatively smaller kind of more intimate venue that then you're able to, yeah, no, that totally makes
4: sense. Well, and maybe actually something about that is that You can create that kind of experience, I think, even at bigger venues. You just have to be maybe more organized, more forward-thinking than I often am about conferences where, you know, if you do organize a special session, then you do get to sort of curate some of those interactions and make sure that you get to see the people that you want to see. So you could have that kind of experience. I think even at a conference as big as the AAG, you just have to plan ahead.
1: Yeah. So this is what I was curious about with kind of preparing for a conference, right? Like... For example, I get in contact with all my friends from graduate school or maybe my very early bit of my career, and I say, you going to AAG this year? Right. Will I see you. Are you doing it? So do you have like a routine like that before the conference to kind of set up what it would look like? Or do you just kind of happen on to what, what comes through?
4: Sometimes I do, but more I just sort of happen on to it, which is probably why, you know, actually, you know, having this when I was asked to do this podcast, I was like, man, I'm the worst at this. I need to listen to this podcast. So I'm super excited to hear the recommendations from, you know, people who do it better than me.
1: I see. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if we'll <laughs> if we'll have any, any super big ones though. Um, so we'll see. The last kind of bit of topics that we wanted to talk about were like, do conferences really matter anymore? And we touched on a little about this um, with the kind of transition from... Twitter being, you know, providing a, a kind of an academic community in a way. But now that everybody's kind of back doing things in person, not posting on social media as much in these ways, uh, you, people might be feeling more of the need to, to go to conferences. I guess over your career, um, how has, how have conferences like changed in your experience of them? Are they much different than how they were when you were starting out or or are they pretty much the same, just an opportunity to network?
4: They're pretty much the same. It's just now instead of having like the conference uh, program and a huge book that you had to carry around, you know, you have it on your app. I'd say like literally that's the biggest change I've seen. Um, So, you know, I do think that it is important to find ways to connect and build community in our our fields. Then it is I think our appetite for that is really all over the map coming out of COVID Um, Mm -hmm. you know I wish that we could find touch points that we could do this that were you know a little less carbon heavy I think I am I'm worrying about this in my own travel I haven't quite hit the point where I'm like okay I'm not going to fly anymore but I do sort of weigh it a lot more. So I really want to make sure I'm getting the most bang for my buck that I'm like there for long enough that, you know, so I, I wish that we could think that through. I, some, I sometimes feel like, you know, if we were going to have academic carbon credits, we should give them to junior scholars because these are the folks that need the exposure that we want out and about. But if there isn't, you know, senior senior scholars there to mentor people, then it's sort of a bummer too. So um, I don't know, it's definitely something I'm wrestling with. I don't think it's changed that yeah. much. I think there's there's certainly still value in it because I think the people that you meet and that can write tenure letters, that can write reference letters, that know you're on the job market, you know, all that is, it's like the bread and butter, I think, of an academic career. So we don't want to lose that.
1: For sure. So obviously like the the kind of climate concerns about everybody flying in for often less than a week. That's pretty onerous. Yeah. Totally understandable. Is there anything else that you just wish that like conferences could do better or maybe do differently that would be better suited for you?
4: I mean, when I was, I think there was, you know, people have talked about childcare. I think, you know, that's definitely, um, you know, something that I think would be beneficial. I understand why conferences put talks at weird times because they're just trying to squeeze everyone in. But it is pretty terrible, I'd say, because people don't attend those. So, um, yeah, I wish that we could think of another way of of dealing with that. And I also wish that, and I love the work that your group's been doing with your interview, the sad interviews, and the podcast. So I wish that we could think about new ways of, communicating what we do not the old not the standard lecture or short talk because i i think the most interesting parts of a conference are usually the question period or when you get dialogue so what if rather than um doing talks what if we could move more towards conversations um, about the work we're doing, the impact of the work, the technical details, they don't always come across that great in a conference talk either. So those technical details are critical and we definitely want to be communicating on those things, but are there other ways we could be communicating on that better? So I don't know, you asked, has, has conferencing changed much? It really hasn't, but are the ways we can com- communicate and consume media have changed a lot. So it would be nice to see those things matched up a bit more.
1: Yeah. For sure. No, that, that does make sense, right? The forum is basically the same as all the conferences that have been around for hundreds of years, basically. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> one person getting in a big room talking at a bunch of people with poorly illustrated slides. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much the same. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I don't know. Is there anything else you would want to say about the conference topic?
4: I think if you are going to go to, if you're going to make the effort to get to a conference, then you really want to make sure that you're getting the most out of it. And so, you know, particularly for students who are new to the field, make sure that you're uh, making a concerted effort to talk to folks you've never met before, and and they can be other students because I think those are really great connections that carry you through your career, or mm-hmm. to you know, senior scholars. Almost all of us are. Uh, very prone to flattery. So all you have to do is say, like, I really wanted to meet you and and it, I almost everyone will be just delighted to take time to talk to you. So be brave about, you know, making those connections and and you just try and learn something new. If, if it costs a lot of money for your supervisor to send you, hopefully they're paying for you. And so they really want you to be growing professionally and you do that through, I think, the relationships that you make, and being exposed to new ideas. So just if you made the effort to get there, don't sit in your hotel room and definitely go see the city and, you know, do the geography things that we need to do to feel good, but make sure that you're just maxing out the experience.
0: Excellent. That was great.
1: Yeah. So when you think about kind of whether or not academic conferences are work, the story that that she tells about her and her partner and how it's viewed differently. You know, if, if he goes to the conference, it's, you know, oh great, you, you know, you're getting your, your, a good opportunity to, to go do some work and networking. But then when she attends, it's more of a kind of a way to get away kind of thing. I don't know, like, w- would you think of a conference as a way to get away in that sense? Or
2: or why, why would that perception persist? Well, there's, there's two things here, right? I think one is that there is, conferences are both, but there is also the gender dimension, which is 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 always very uh, present, well present or important. And uh, I think we can discuss more about the the latter. But I think the the gender part it, it's you know it's twenty twenty three. We shouldn't be <laughs> having to mm-hmm. to have this conversation yet. Yet we here we are. Yeah,
0: I think I think of conferences as. I used to, when my children were young, I definitely thought of them as a chance to get away. And I know some people treat it as a chance to get away and actually sleep a full night if they've got Hmm. little kids. Um, When kids are a little bit older, sometimes it's a chance to get away and actually just have time to yourself. I know so many especially geographer colleagues who will talk about going to conferences just so they can like go sit in a hotel room and watch tv and order room service and there is all the conferencing stuff that they're doing but for them like a really important component of the whole uh, outing or extravaganza is simply that time to recuperate and recharge their batteries and i can see how we would think of that as not work but on the other hand everything we do is sort of intellectually engaged in working with our brains and when our brains are not fully charged and they're not able to actually work then it makes it harder to do the sort of creative stuff that we do so i definitely thought of it as a treat like to get to go out to dinner and talk to other adults and not have to like keep track of a three or four year old running around that to me was heaven because it was just, you know, the the rest of my life was always a struggle to balance, you know, the work and then the home stuff, but always with a smaller person who had needs that superseded everything. And when you go to a conference, especially in the days before cell phones, you were just gone. The only way that anyone's going to reach you is if they call you or they email you. Um, I think that hybrid conferences and also just the, the increase of, you know, accessibility, people being able to find us, has changed a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. But it used to be, for me, very much a getting away.
2: That's amazing. Were you the one just sitting in, in bed watching TV? Or? No,
0: I've never... I. No, I, if you (laughs) haven't picked up on it already, I would feel like I was somehow missing out if I was in my room or that it meant that I had failed. To me, I would see it as like a form of, I would have seen it as a form of failure that I had like failed to make the connections with people and to have things to do. So if I had to be in my room by myself, I would see it as something that I wasn't doing right about conferences. I probably feel a little bit different about it now, but I do, when I get to a conference, I tend to sort of and i'm a little bit on the extroverted side i think if we if we <laughs> use that if we use <laughs> if we use those two extremes um, but only with people that i know and so now i just I know that I'm going to be completely exhausted when I get home. So actually on the gendered side, I think what my family would say is, oh, my God, when I come home from a conference, you just can't talk to me for days because I've used up any store that I had of like interacting with people and being entertaining and telling stories. That's all gone. That's Even in a typical work week, by the time I get home, that battery is empty. So a conference is like me full on for several days, and then I I make up for it when I get home a little bit, but it's worth it.
1: Yeah, it is tough to kind of figure out that balance and that affordance for that kind of work. because It's pretty intense when you think about, you know, academia as an industry touches so many parts of the way that you see yourself and the way that other people see you. And so when you go to a conference, there's a lot of that kind of, you know, relationship and contact you're at, you're at a a dinner, which can be fun, but then also at the same time, you're probably going to talk about work at some point. So it it is, it is definitely totally a, a challenging kind of
0: Do you think Think of it it as work? Do you think of it as work at conference?
1: I think that, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. I think for a a younger kind of generation, there's more of a desire to establish a really firm work-life boundary in that way. And I I can appreciate that there are a lot of my peers at the kind of, you know, uh, senior assistant professor slash early associate that, that see it that way for sure. Um, there, there's a desire to make sure that you, you can have a professional identity, but then also have a personal identity that is in some way, maybe not fully independent, but at least to respect the fact that, that there is a divide there that that, you know, you're trying to cultivate an individual life. Uh, and I can I can see that there's maybe a holistic perspective there that's lacking, but I definitely think of it as work. And I know quite a few uh, in, in that way that do as well.
2: Danny? It is work. Right, <laughs> it well, is the fun part of work, but it, yeah, is, exactly. it, it may be the fun part of work, but it's still, it's still work. I think something I, I realized over the years, or that something that I do now that kind of recognizes that that realization is conferences are useful in pretty cool places, and I've always liked traveling. And I used to just say, "Well, I'll do everything in that in that conference week, and if if I want to see the place, I will just book an extra day or I'll arrive a day before or, or a couple of days. Or if, if it comes to a weekend, I'll just do the weekend there. Because I, I do feel a little bit, not fail, but I do feel like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to when there's a conference going on and then I need to go for a walk. And I think to me that is because it it is part of work. It it just so happens that it is the fun part of work. But, you know, being fun doesn't mean that is it's not <laughs> right. work.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think – uh, the dichotomy between uh, work and play, I'm uncomfortable with because I think it plays into. I'm going to use the word neoliberal. I think Ooh, it plays into this sort, of, in this sort of this sort of it plays into this idea that work can't be nice. Yeah, and somehow exactly we've that, extracted sure. all of the fun parts of work, and so if you're enjoying it, you must there's not actually wrong. be working. Yeah, there's something <laughs> wrong. And I, I think I do feel like there's so little in a traditional academic job these days that is allowed to still be really fun. And I think we should embrace that conferences are why we take the lower salaries. They're why we take this sort of Uh, higher workloads they're not the only reason we take these but but they're they're one of the bonuses the flexible schedule used (laughs) to be the other thing Uh, but the but the potential to travel and and make friends who are like-minded right and so I don't think that people who are more advanced in their careers don't have personal identities that are entirely separate I think they just were much more in on the idea that this should still be fun
1: yeah, I, th- I think they're fun for
2: sure. I just think they're still work. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think for sure. Yeah.
2: But, and I was going to say the other side of recognizing that their work is that even for people who don't find them fun, I think there's value in making the effort in attending. Maybe not yeah. as many or maybe yeah. not. But there is, you know, people don't go to conferences just to have fun. There is a point in going that you meet people that you wouldn't meet, that people meet you, that you, you're seeing. And i think you, we have to also recognize that because otherwise there's the the risk a that university employers and so on will, will say well this is part of the fund, So if you want to go mm-hmm. why don't you pay for it yourself um but also that we sort of forget that uh, there's a lot of value in, in in conference and in meeting every now and then yeah and, yeah. and seeing what's going on taking the polls yeah. of the field and, yeah and so on
0: so the third person that we spoke to um, is speaking not speaking of conferences, speaking of conferences um, the third person we spoke to sits on the other side of the magic conference curtain and um, is a conference organizer and so I talked to Oscar Larson who's the conference director at the American Association of geographers or the AAG and um, and this is the sort of premier North American learned society for geography, but it is, I think, generally agreed to be sort of like the the worldwide geography conference, um, which happens every spring. Um, before the pandemic, as I think I mentioned earlier, top out at about 8,000 people. I think this year they're expecting around 4,000. And so it's a big, it's kind of a big deal, but it also is a, a great example of what a large scale conference looks like and all of the effort and all the, all the effort that goes into it and all the sort of... <laughs> movable pieces, puzzle pieces that have to come together. And so I talked to Oscar, and it turned into a much longer conversation than I was expecting. And so part of this, I think, was because there's just a lot to get through. Um, and what I really was hoping to hear from Oscar, I was really hoping for some sharp pushback on some of the, the uh, what are sometimes referred to as attendee behaviors criticisms that attendees always have, like why they have to present at 8 a.m. on the last day, or why there are so many other interesting sessions happening at exactly the same time theirs is, or why the conference is so expensive, why it's only going to boring cities. It's actually pretty amazing if you start to listen to to just the number of criticisms that people lob out at those who are organizing the conferences. And of course, all of this has a reason, right? And so it was kind of fun to talk to Oscar. I think I'm just going to let's hear from him, and then we'll sort of pick up on what he had to say.
5: I've been at AG for 20 years. <laughs> this is the 19th conference that I've run for AG.
0: How's it feeling? Are you pretty comfortable now?
5: Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. I, a lot of it's uh, it's muscle memory to a certain extent, but there's a lot of new things since uh, since the pandemic, for sure. So we're we're heading into experiment land.
0: Yeah, yeah. So this will be our first meeting in three years that's in person.
5: That's right. In Denver. Yeah. No, and in 2020, we were scheduled to go to Denver, uh, and that one was canceled due to the pandemic. So we're we're kind of coming back. Maybe it's, uh, yeah, coming back to Denver. So we're, we're excited to re have a redo on that meeting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So how did it feel coming back after a few years of not doing live? Like, do you have all the processes in place
5: or yeah I would say we have the processes in place Um, there are new additions um, namely being the hybrid component and the virtual component so the in-person meeting uh, we we know how to do that and yeah you know that that's going to be I won't say simple, but that, that that's something we can handle. But the unknowns are, how is a hybrid meeting going to work when you have in-person attendees, in-person presenters, virtual attendees, and virtual presenters at in-person events?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, for those who don't know much about how conferences get put together, and I'm going to guess that's probably most of us. I mean, if you're an academic researcher or uh, a researcher of any sort, if you go to a conference, you attend sessions, you go to receptions, but you don't necessarily see what's going on behind the scenes. And so could you just walk us through some of the, I want to say complications, but actually just the details of how conferences get put together? like What's involved? What's the big stuff?
5: Absolutely. Well, for a conference the size of AAG, we're choosing the destination three to four years before the meeting. uh, And we're guessing how many attendees we're going to have based on the current patterns of growth or decline. So our Denver conference, um, well, this one was planned to be in Denver for 2020. So we signed the contracts in uh, 2017. And now we're in uh, 2023 holding the conference. So we have all of the space that we contracted, but the meeting has changed significantly. So we have to cope with that for sure. Once you have the contract in place and you have the space, um, you put together a uh, local arrangements committee that helps you kind of build the local content for the meeting in terms of field trips, in terms of suggesting um local speakers that would be good for the meeting uh when it comes to the logistics of the meeting itself uh you know about in generally in august before the annual meeting we start accepting abstracts um and one really cool thing probably my favorite thing about the ag conference is that it's 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 attendee organized so yeah the attendees themselves create the content for the meeting which is i think I don't know how unique that is, but I think it's really, really neat. And I think the attendees really appreciate it because they put a lot of work into creating sessions that they will, that they want to be a part of, sessions that they're interested in. Um, and it's I think uh, it really, to me, showcases how cool geography is. And I really love geographers, so that's exciting for me. Um, as we have the call for papers and abstracts start coming in, we get a sense of uh, how many people are going to be attending and we can adjust um, our expectations for um, how much food and beverage we're going to have to order, how many rooms we're going to need, and so forth.
0: In past years, a big worry, so probably even leading up to Denver, one of the big worries was whether you would have enough meeting room space to fit all of the people who were planning to come to the conference.
5: A- absolutely. Um, we had a lot of growth um, in from 2004 through uh, 2019 and a couple of years, we ran into problems where we didn't have enough meeting space for the number of people that came another, um, really cool aspect of the AG meeting, uh, in some ways, but also it has its problems is that we do accept every submitted abstract for presentation. So if you register for the meeting and you want to present, we have a space for you, but that yeah. presents a problem in that we don't have an accurate estimate of how many, um, how many session rooms we're gonna need. Because if you're having five papers per session, you, know, you need a room for, for every five papers or a right, session right. slot for every the, five papers. It's
0: just math, yeah. Right. Yeah, which leads me to, um, to a question that I had for you and I thought, oh, it'd be great to hear from Oscar about all of the complaints that attendees have about conferences, and it's not just the AAG. I mean, people certainly, you'll hear your complaints if you plan to be in Denver, but you'll hear these complaints at any conference. And one of them is about rooms being too big or too small, or when the perfect session got scheduled against your own session, or people getting scheduled on the last day. I don't know if I've covered the range of complaints that people have.
5: (coughs) Sure, Um, I think that covers the big ones (laughs) for sure. the AG program, because it's so large, um, you know, in some years we've had as many as um, seventeen hundred sessions in total. Uh, it's a lot of sessions for it Denver. Is. In you know this year, we have fifty-nine concurrent sessions um, that are going to be taking place in person, and um, up to eleven concurrent sessions that are taking place in virtual space. We have seventy-seven specialty groups. Um, And we accept uh, custom timing requests. So that presents a problem. Geography is inherently interdisciplinary. So a lot of the um, content is like, goes well with another session that ends up being scheduled at the same time. And that's not from oversight. I think there's no possible way to perfectly schedule things without having topical overlap. Because yeah. if a specialty group has, you know, we have, let's see, we have 25 total session time slots. So yeah. one specialty group might organize as many as 80 sessions. Those are going to have to overlap. That's just math. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then within those sessions, when you have special highlighted sessions, that's when we come to the, to the request. So. Um, two different groups might have invited speakers, but those speakers happen to only be available at the same time. Yeah. Or perhaps the groups didn't communicate with each other when they made their special request, and by the time they realize that there's an overlap, it's too late to make changes because travel plans have already been made. Um, So those are some of the challenges with that.
0: So this time Um, of year, are you just fielding a lot of email?
5: Absolutely, yeah. A lot of email. A lot of email. You know, can I change my session? Can I make edits? Can I um, add people? I mean, one one thing, I guess a, a secret tip of the AG annual conference is that uh, because we don't turn away any presentations, even after the deadline for abstracts has passed, if there's a space for you in a session, if a session organizer reaches out to you to say, hey, I, someone dropped out and I have room, yeah. we want to accommodate that if possible. So um you know, we're usually able to to fit people in. We just we just have to have deadlines because we can't continuously accept because <laughs> we would be overwhelmed and the and the program itself would never get created
0: uh um, yeah. in the
5: first place. And to address, you know, the other complaint of people being scheduled in the last session on the last day. Well you have to take into account that with uh you know fifty nine concurrent in-person mm-hmm. sessions, um and the total number of sessions, you know, the last day is one-fifth of the conference. So the last yeah. session slot is one-twenty-fifth of the conference. So it doesn't matter how long your conference is. Even if it's one session long, that one's the first session, but it's also the last. So somebody's got to I mean, be on the last day.
0: Yeah, I'm going to ask you at, at the end of our talk if you have advice for people who might be new to conferencing and especially new to the AAG, which is a pretty big conference. But do you have advice for people when they're sort of navigating the process of putting in abstracts and getting sessions set up and when they're not scheduled? And Because you do feel a lot of email from people, right? Are there good ways to go about managing these feelings and bad ways to go about managing these feelings?
5: Well, uh, I think my advice to Anybody who really wants to know when their session is going to be scheduled is number one. Fill out the special request form. Let us know when you want it to be scheduled. But boy, if you request the last day, we are going to be so happy. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I think you know it, it. It'd be nice if there was like a subgroup of AG that was like, we love the last day, and could sort of gin up some uh, excitement about it because it's still a day of the meeting. But um, yes. as far as as far as the overlap. I think the key thing is like, we no one geographer, no one meeting organizer or group of meeting organizers, even with the help of a committee of geographers could possibly understand all of the sessions that need to not overlap, like for sure. So if you're, if there are sessions that you know are happening, and that don't that shouldn't overlap. That's where you have to work with those other session organizers to come to us together to tell us, you know, what what you want to see and what you don't want to see. And we're completely yeah. open to that input. Um, once the program comes out, it gets really complicated to move things because we are limited in the space that we have, um, and each room that we add um, is a huge added expense. So we want to minimize that as much as possible. Um, so I think. And we're we're really transparent about about what's been submitted, so you can always see which sessions are in the system um, at any given point in time. Whether it's you know uh, the two or three sessions that come in right when we open the call for papers and sessions, or if it's right at the deadline, and you can see yeah. you know all you know thousand or seventeen hundred sessions. And again, yeah. it's hard. It is hard to find the overlaps.
0: I wanted to ask you some general questions about conference organization before we close. Um, But I wondered, speaking of AAG, if you have favorite parts of the conference, like are there things that you love about that meeting?
5: Absolutely. My favorite part of the conference is the, um, just the networking and the seeing people and the talking to people. I think uh, it's just great that the, the energy of the conference is fantastic. It's really great to see how excited people are to see each other who don't see each other every day. Maybe this is the one time they see each other every year, and I think they get a lot of work done just in the networking and thinking of new ideas and uh, you know new ways to collaborate. I the, everything I hear in the hallways is, "Oh, it's so good that I went to that session because I wouldn't have thought of this otherwise." I just hear that all the time, and it's really nice. Yeah.
0: What about parts of the meeting that you're super happy to have over every year when they're done? Are there things where you just sort of (laughs) wipe the sweat from your brow and think, thank goodness I don't have to do this again for another year? Or it's all pretty easy these days?
5: Uh, I wouldn't say it's all pretty easy. Definitely, the first day, like the, f- the when we open the registration for people to start picking up their badges, I have a lot of anxiety about that before it happens and making sure that that goes well because it's the first impression for all the attendees. Yeah. Um, they come and they're ready to join in the meeting and they pick up their badge. If something goes wrong with that, it's really you know it's really stressful. We got to work that out really fast. So uh, unfortunately, yeah. you know we we're we're doing a. I, I, Knock on wood, we're doing a lot better um, than we have in the past when we have had issues.
0: Yeah. So we, you touched a little bit about how we touched on how early contracts get signed for hotels. Um, and I'm just thinking about the other sorts of comments that come up sometimes in general about conferences. And one of them is that we always go to the same places, um, that we're in hotels, that they're really expensive. Um, and now we can add the hybrid right? People either seem to be vehemently pro-hybrid or anti. They don't, there doesn't seem to be a lot of nuance nuance or or space in between. I don't know, you have thoughts about any or all of these?
5: Well, specifically, um, I think you're going to find opinions on the value of hotel versus convention center. Uh, some people like one, some people like the other. Um, I think when AG is in one location, it's a little bit more powerful. It's tough when we have to spread out over two properties. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I... What about, if,
0: what about hotel room costs?
5: Hotel room costs? Yeah, well, let me get into costs. We don't have a lot of choice with such a large meeting. Uh, a lot of the smaller cities that would have less expensive... Um, hotel rates, they don't have enough meeting rooms for us that make any sense. Maybe they do have enough, but we might be spread out over five hotels, and that would not be a right. good experience for the meeting. Um, in my experience with AAG, a lot of attendees have been able to figure out how to get a lower hotel rate, maybe not at our main hotels. And I know that's less than ideal for the ultimate like networking and conference experience, but it's possible to, to attend AAG on a Lower budget than staying at the main hotel, although it is important to remember that in order for AG to um, succeed at the meeting financially to break even, uh, we need people to stay at the conference hotels. Yeah. But the main yeah. issue with with the you know going to the same cities over and over, we don't have uh, we don't have a lot of cities that can that can support the size of meeting that we have, and also right. you know. The bigger cities, they also draw uh, more diverse attendance. So, and a, and a larger attendance for better or
0: worse. Right, right. Well, and I suppose one thing that people might not be thinking about is just how expensive these, how expensive it is to hold a conference. That when we sign these contracts, we're agreeing that we're going to deliver a certain number of people and spend a certain amount of money. Uh, and that makes it expensive.
5: Absolutely, yeah. We have to... You know, in order to to make the meeting work with the size it, that it is, we're committing to spending, um, you know, two hundred fifty three hundred thousand dollars in food and beverage, and we're committing <laughs> to that that you know uh, five thousand room nights will be used at the hotels. So, uh, if that doesn't happen, we end up having to to pay anyways. So A G pays yeah. directly.
0: So we've gone to lots of A A G destinations over the years. I think my first AAG was Hawaii, where we're going to go back next year. Um, And I've attended most of the meetings in the interim. And I'm just thinking about favorite locations. Do you have favorite conferences, either favorite venues or just conferences that were just fantastic? And and if so, why?
5: My favorite conference in recent history was the uh, 2018 meeting in New Orleans. Something about that meeting, the like energy was really good. Um, people were relaxed. I it felt like everyone had a really good time. Uh, it was just a little bit, it was just, it was slightly different than some of the previous meetings. It was really, really chill and really relaxed. And it, I, you know, I had a great time at that meeting. Um, favorite venues. I think, uh, I was really bummed. We had to, Cancel the New York meeting because I really liked the New York meeting that we did um, in 2012 I think it was. Yeah. Um, that was just a really good meeting a great venue. That was um, I think Washington DC is nice because I used to live there and it's sort of uh, like a second home in a way um, but yeah the recent New Orleans meeting was was really really nice.
0: Yeah yeah well we don't have much more time. So one of the things I'd asked you and I sort of got in touch with you to see if you'd be willing to talk to me for just a few minutes was if you had advice, because a lot of this this episode is for those who maybe aren't used to attending conferences and, and how one goes about figuring out how to attack a conference, for lack of a better word. If you don't really know anyone, you're overwhelmed by the number of sessions, you're in a new city, it all feels exotic and foreign and not necessarily in a good way. Um, for a lot of us, um, especially if we're not natural networkers, and I thought, well, you might have advice because you're on for four or five days at a time when the AAG meeting is running. You're 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 forward facing, right? You're front of house, and so I wondered if you would have advice to people who are brand new, especially to the AAG, but really to any conference about what to do when you land and you pick up your name badge and you're just not sure what to do next.
5: Well, um, we have. Uh an orientation session that I would recommend that you go to, but let's say you can't make that session, and even if you do, it's like this is your chance to to talk to people. So I think finding someone to reach out to, ask your advisor, ask your colleagues. You know, is there somebody that would be willing to to show me around? Um, If you do go to the orientation session, the folks running that session, you can just approach them afterwards and they'd be happy to help you. Um, It is a big meeting. There's a lot happening. Uh, I think one of, you know, some of the people that have been going for a long time, they definitely don't attend every session. Uh, That would be overwhelming. But they do pick, sometimes they pick several sessions that are occurring in one time slot that they're interested in, and they'll go to one of those sessions. And if they don't like it, they'll skip to the next session. Um, yeah. If it's if it's not what they're looking for, they'll move. So you have a lot of opportunity even within one given time slot to find what you're looking for. Um, you know, and this next bit of advice is informed by my own bias of not being afraid to make a fool of myself, but talk to people. Um, just get out of your comfort zone. If you see your hero in the hallway, somebody that you that you've read their research and you really. You know you really admire what they've done and you want to know more about it or just go up to them and say hi i found nearly all of the geographers that i've met at ag are very very approachable and would love to spend some time talking to you about their about you know their research and people are generally uh they generally enjoy being flattered so i think they they love it when fans come up and say <laughs> hi so um you know you're doing them a favor really uh, and they'd be happy to return the favor with some attention to, to your interests and, you know, giving you advice about how to proceed in your, in your career or research at school so forth.
0: Well, and you know, a lot of people after all these years, when you get to the meeting, aside from all the work stuff, there must be a lot of catching up that you do. Just absolutely people.
5: Yeah. It's going to be interesting after missing three meetings in person. I'm really looking forward to seeing the folks, um, that I haven't seen in years, people that I only talk to at the meeting. Uh, But when we see each other, it's just, you know, it's a great time to catch up. And, you know, it's just, it's a great sense of community.
0: Yeah, well, if you're coming to Denver in the next few weeks, keep your eyes open for Oscar Larson, the AAG Conference Director. Keep your eyes open for me, Rachel Franklin. I'll be there in Denver and happy to say hi. And with that, I just wanna say thank you, Oscar, for taking time to talk to me today.
5: Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, Rachel. I had a good time.
0: Right. So one of my favorite things about talking to Oscar was the the point that he makes about being in the graveyard session, which is like, you know, the end the end of the conference. And if you're at a conference like the AAG, which is sometimes like five days long, to be on the very last day can sometimes mean that most people have already gone home. It's just a fact. It's the way it's going to work, that people who came in the beginning are not always going to last until the bitter end. Um. And his point was that you could run a two-day conference and you still have to have somebody in the last session. Like, there is no getting around this. It it doesn't really have to do with the size of the conference or how many concurrent sessions you've got. It's simply a fact that somebody has to go last. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And another point that he had... um, which I think we probably all, well, there are a few points which we all sort of know. One of them, of course, is that the contracts for hotels, so there are contracts that are signed in a North American setting where conferences are held in hotels. Those conferences, these contracts are signed years in advance, and you're promising the hotels that you're going to give them some things five years ahead of time. And some of those things are the number of hotel rooms that you promise to fill They're the number of meeting rooms that you promise to fill and they're the amount of food and beverage that you promise to buy from them. So basically you're promising the hotel that they're going to make a certain amount of money from you uh, when the conference is held. And so this means that uh, catering is going to be expensive. Uh, It means that room, Room rates might feel kind of expensive. And when I asked Oscar about the expense of the AAG, he said he feels like of course there's the room block that has to be filled, but that he also feels like attendees are getting much better at finding alternative ways to work to work out the expense bit. But then he doubled back and was like and reminded us that of course they do have to fill the room block. So this is very <laughs> tricky it's very tricky to navigate. And I realized once we were in the thick of the conversation that it's difficult to um, difficult to make sort of hard statements about do's and don'ts for conferences. But when I asked him for advice. Oscar said that one of the key takeaways that he has is that if you're okay making a fool of yourself, that things are generally much easier. And by this, I take it to mean like, you know, going into a room where you don't know anyone uh, and starting the conversations, uh, loitering about and waiting for the chance encounters with people, going to receptions where you may not know anyone and just taking the chance. And I, that really resonated with me because it is not the way I operate, but I think it's true. And I also think that if you do this for two or three years running, you'll no longer be doing it as much as you thought you were. It's a little bit like training wheels.
1: Yeah. Like treating a conference as a, as a maybe time limited opportunity for you to be more open than you might otherwise be to be more kind of outgoing I think it's a really good way of of looking at it because you do really at some points have to try and be open to those new things to meet new people and to network and get to know others and and I know that there have been times in the past where like I've met people at an AAG where I wouldn't have ever met them otherwise and now I know who they are. They knew who I am. We had a fun night together chatting about different kinds of research at a reception we didn't find particularly interesting. So there's nice ways that you can kind of develop these professional relationships from these events, uh, but do it in a way that maybe you might never be that outgoing otherwise. So I think thinking about it in terms of like a time limited zone where maybe you you will try to be a bit more open than, than otherwise is a great way to great way to think about it.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Does either one of you have any sort of final pieces of advice, anything we haven't picked up on yet about how to conference?
1: Yeah, I I actually have one big one. Um, I think that the conferences, many of them now, are starting to have these workshop sessions beforehand and sometimes integrated into them. And I think for early career researchers, that's actually a huge opportunity because you're getting some of the most advanced people in the field coming and teaching free courses that you can go attend oftentimes for free or included maybe with a marginal fee for your registration. That's an incredible opportunity. And many people that attend conferences, I know select certain timings or things like this just to attend those pre-conference events. Mm. Yeah. So I think they're an incredible value and they're a great way to kind of get really skilled really quickly and also identify leaders in the field of an area that you might wanna enter.
2: It also gets you in the room for more than Half an hour or an hour. This workshops are usually four hours, so you're sort of in the boat (laughs) with a small group of people, and I think you tend to forge also more more relationships that way.
0: Yeah, and I think even the medium sized conferences, certainly the larger ones, it's pretty common now to even find streams of sessions, and I think that that's another way to get the sort of the workshop experience with a small smaller group of people, but in the larger that larger sea um, with thousands of attendees, and so. It yeah. is certainly an option to consider.
2: The main piece of advice for me, I mean, if anything, we've we've mentioned it in different ways, but to me, conferences is is something that if you're doing things the way you do the rest of your life, you're probably doing something wrong. If you're meeting the same people you meet on your normal life, you know, you're probably missing out on something. If you're if you're not trying things that you can do on your normal life, what was I think you tend to miss things. So when you go to a conference, at least maybe not every session, but go to a keynote, even if you don't know the person who speaks, go to a reception that you where you don't know anyone but one, you know, bring a friend along just in case, like like Rachel said, but try out different things because that's where most of the value, a lot of the conferences to me, and this is probably for the larger ones, but it's about the weak ties that you're going to make there that you never know what 10 years down the line will right. will mean. Mm-hmm. and. Just being in the conference doesn't necessarily bring those benefits. You have to be a little bit active, so, so be conscious of that.
0: Yeah, and I think if I were thinking about advice, it would probably be to give yourself the space to try things more than once and see what you mm-hmm. like and what you don't like and allow your preferences to change over time. But being, being self-aware and sort of taking your own pulse as you're, as you're doing these things, I think can be helpful. And you know, as Trislin said, it might even be that what you decide is that you don't really like conferences and that you're going to supplement in other areas of your professional life to make sure that you get all of the benefits that you need. But I I would say, try it, try it. It's like green eggs and ham, try it. You might like it, Um, but you might not. Um, But I think it probably takes more than one conference to start to sort out what you like and what you don't like. and so we're going to slowly wind down here. I think one one last thing that I think we wanted to maybe spend a minute or two on was just that if you've been listening to us, this is, I think, our fourth... Time recording, and we were talking before we started this morning that we're still feeling very inexperienced to this. And so we know that it's a little bit rough. Hopefully, each episode is a little less rough, and you can tell that we're getting a little bit better at this. But thank you for bearing with us. This is a brand new skill for us to be acquiring, and we're doing it in a in a group setting. So we're also sort of practicing working with each other. We're really excited to have you here with us. We're glad you're here. Um, but Yeah, it's a journey. And just to acknowledge it, we know that it's a little rough around the edges, but we're working on getting better at this uh, as quickly as possible. And we have lots more coming up, but our next episode is going to be all about books. Writing them, editing them, loving them. them, (laughs) (laughs) Hating them. (laughs) Reading them. Uh, And you can find us anywhere uh, where podcasts are available. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye.
1: Bye. Bye.